Our scripture reading today is Genesis 13, verses 8 through 12. So Abram said to Lot, Let us not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plains and pitched his tents near Sodom. This is the word of the Lord for us. You know, sometimes we learn best from bad examples. <laughs> we learn what not to do. Remember the, uh, I think it was an 80s uh, anti-drug campaign, this is your brain, it's, a, it's an egg, and then cracked into the frying pan. It's like, this is your brain on drugs. Some of us didn't need to experiment with drugs because they're like, I don't want scrambled eggs for brains. Or, or maybe it's the, the older sibling who made really poor life choices. And you saw that you had kind of a front row seat to that. And you're like, I'm not going to do that. Or, or uh, another relative or a friend or a community member. And you say, I do not want to end up like him. And that's because you realize that the choices you make affect your life. And I'll just say that it doesn't always begin. Rarely does it begin with total absolute rebellion. It begins with those small choices we make that lead us down that path. It begins with, I'm going to date him even though he's not a Christian. He's a nice boy. It begins with, well, I'm really tired and I'm really busy and I've chosen to fill today with other activities. So I'm not going to read the Bible today, but I'm kind of hoping to tomorrow. See, those are the choices you make today that then have impact on the rest of your life. It begins with lingering in places you know you should not be. So in today's scripture, the reason I mention this, of course, is we have an example of this in today's scripture in this figure of Lot, the nephew of Abram. He shows us just what not to do. Lot is a great example of what not to do. And so we're going to learn from his mistakes today. And we're going to be encouraged that we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to follow his plan for our lives. So again, I'm thrilled that you're with us this morning. I'm praying that through our time together, your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. We are doing a sermon series called Father Abraham, where we're learning about the life of this great man of faith. And no, he didn't always get it right. But God called him, God chose him to have a special role in God's plan to redeem all of humanity. So I hope you brought your Bible with you this morning. If so, please get it out. Turn to the book of Genesis. We're going to kind of finish up in chapter 12 and then move on to chapters 13 and 14 this morning. But we left off after uh, talking last week about Abram and his wife, Sarai, and how they followed God's call. They stepped out in faith. They left the comforts of Ur. They walked away from their false religion. They went to the land God showed them. That was the land of Canaan. But then a famine hit, and so then they headed into Egypt. Now, here's what happens at the end of chapter 12. When they're in Egypt, Abram gets a bunch of sheep and cattle and donkeys and camels and servants. The way he acquires those is he lies and says that Sarai is his sister. 
Now, it was a partial truth. It was a lie because he misconstrued the fact that they were married, husband and wife. It was a partial lie because they actually are siblings. They share the same father. (laughs) So it's sort of one of those half-truths. But Pharaoh took Sarai, who was this beautiful woman. He took her into the palace. The Lord afflicts him with diseases. And finally, Abram says, all right, I'm getting out of town. And and so don't think that Abram's foolishness was rewarded. He didn't just get off scot-free because one of the servants that was given to him was named a woman named Hagar. And we will talk about her in coming weeks, but she will prove to be a major thorn for their family. Okay, so we're now ready for chapter 13. Uh, Turn with me there in your Bible, Genesis chapter 13. Abram leaves from Egypt. He goes back into the promised land. Again, he now has vast amounts of wealth and animals and a large household. So we're going to pick it up starting in verse one, Genesis chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Verse 5. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they weren't able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. Okay. So let's stop there. This is, so this becomes a story about the nephew, whose name is Lot we find out that he also was prosperous. He has flocks. He has herds. Now, how do you suppose he managed that? (laughs) Only because of Abram. Like, I want to be clear on this, that, that Lot was part of Abram's household. He was one of the very few people that went on this journey, leaving all behind. Abram has become wealthy. Now, all of a sudden, oh, Lot has too. The only reason Lot has what he has is because of Abram. He is riding Abram's coattails. He is only the man he is because of his uncle. He owes everything to Abram. And what does Abram do? He graciously offers to his nephew Lot his choice of the land. We heard this from uh, the scripture reading that Brian did for us a, a few minutes ago, right? He, he, where he says, if you go right, I'll go left. If you go left, I'll go right. He says, take whatever you want. And so this younger man, Lot, he, he takes his look. He rubs his chin probably, surveys the land. He looks out. What does he see? He sees these lush green plains, the plain of Jordan. It's well watered. The, the verse there says it's kind of like the land back in Egypt. There's a nearby town that looks pretty fun, Sodom. And so Lot doesn't say, no, uncle, you choose. Lot doesn't say, well, what land would you like? Or what do you recommend for me, uncle? He doesn't say, the only reason I have these flocks is because of you. Like, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to tell my herdsmen to kind of knock it off. And yes, we need to spread out. But like, I am part of you. You are part of me. He doesn't do any of that. He selfishly chooses the best land for himself, turns his back on his uncle and decides to live. What did we hear there? pitching his tents near Sodom. Probably thought there was more money to be made there because of the population and the people. Probably thought it would be fun. Probably thought, now I can have some freedom because I've been living under the shadow of Abram my whole life. Now I can have a little bit of freedom. Now I can spread my wings. 
He doesn't realize that there is a powerful king whose name is Keterleomer who has control. He doesn't realize that these people in Sodom are an oppressed people. They are subject to this cruel leader. So we're in Genesis chapter 13. Let's go to verse 11. It says, Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan. He set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot traveled among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Our choices affect our lives. This is going to prove to be a bad choice. And some of you, you know these stories of, of Abram and Lot. You heard them when you were a child in Sunday school, and you kind of know what's coming. You, you kind of know the destruction that awaits and is going to befall this family. This was a bad move. He has just chosen to disrespect his mentor. He has just chosen to move himself and his family to the outskirts of Sodom, which is a dangerous place. And the next verse, verse 13, tells us very clearly, now the people of Sodom were wicked. They were sinning greatly against the Lord. And I wonder what that conversation with Lot sounds like. Maybe he goes, but we're not living in Sodom. We're on the outskirts. We're, we're just moving a, a little closer to the city. And, and I'm reminded of conversations I've had. But I don't really listen to the lyrics of the song. I just like the beat. I didn't lie. I just didn't quite tell the whole truth. I'm not addicted. No. I'm not addicted. I could quit any time I want. Well, sure, I guess maybe that was slandering. But he's really never going to find out, so who does it hurt? Meanwhile, what does Abram do? Well, he goes to the land that the Lord showed him. He goes the other direction, and it's the land of Canaan. He's now 80 years old. This land would not have looked quite as nice and lush and green. But he's trusting the Lord and he's trusting in the Lord to fulfill the promise he has made. When the Lord said to him, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And I'm mindful this morning that sometimes this is where you feel like you are. You're, you're in a desert. You wonder, how is God going to bring about good? But I want to reassure you, he is working. He is carrying out his plan for your life. So keep trusting in him. Don't you dare say, well, God's way isn't working. So I'm going to see what the world has to offer. It's beautiful because at the end of chapter 13, then we have Abram and the Lord, and they're just talking like friends. Like he had a relationship with God, his creator. They're just talking like friends. In fact, God tells him to take a nice long walk. <laughs> he says to him, walk the whole breadth and length of the land, that I'm going to give this all to you. And, and that just struck me as I was reading it. Sometimes all you need to do is just get away and get with the Lord. Sometimes all you need to do is take a nice long walk and have a conversation. Share your heart with God. Listen for God's voice. Meditate on the promises. What has God said? And continue to trust him. That's what Abram did. 
So let's move into Genesis chapter 14, because this gets really dramatic really fast. And I'm talking like, if Hollywood ever gets a hold of this, this is going to be a zinger. Like this, this is, this is the stuff of major action movies. So Sodom is part of this group of cities. And as I mentioned, they are subject to this king, Keter Laomer. He rules over them. They have to like pay tribute to him and like whatever he says goes there. Well, they start to rebel against him. And what he does is brings the thunder. Like, like, like this is the kind of guy who's like, no, 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 no. I'm in charge. And so they begin, he's, he's subjected them for 12 years, the scriptures tell us. In the 13th year, this rebellion and uprising starts. And then it's in the 14th year that he brings the thunder. So chapter 14, we see in verses 5 through 7 that Kederleomer comes with his armies. He defeats the Rephaites, the Zuzites, the Emites, the Horites, the Amalekites, the Amorites. <laughs> like, he's not losing. He is defeating everyone, and he's marching toward Sodom and these other places that are trying to rebel against him. So then the war kind of culminates. We have Sodom along with four other cities. So it's five kings, and they meet in this valley, and it's got tar pits, and Keterleomer, and he has three other kings with him. So it's five kings against four kings in this epic battle. I mean, this is really dramatic. But Keterleomer... This, this ruling king, I mean, he is battle-tested. And so, yeah, he might be a part of the group of four kings, but he defeats them swiftly. He's not phased. The five kings, so again, that includes Sodom, they are defeated. They retreat to the hills. And then it says that Keterleomer raids the cities, the cities, and he takes their people and their goods, and it says he takes their food. I guess, you're, you, guess you work up an appetite when you're part of a battle, <laughs> So, so he raids what? The cities. And so then look at verse 12. So we're in Genesis chapter 14. Let's get on to verse 12. It says, they also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions. But wait, you say, he was pitched in the plain of Jordan. Wasn't he outside the city? Comma, since he was living in Sodom. Now, Lot would have been fine if he were in the plain of Jordan. Lot would have been fine if he were out tending his sheep and his cattle, but no, he has now apparently moved into Sodom. Why would a farmer move into a city? Like his original choice to pitch his tents near Sodom seems like it has now evolved. It has evolved. He has come right inside the city gates. Sin always takes you further than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to stay, and it costs you more than you ever wanted to pay. But no, the story is not over. The Bible tells us in Genesis 14 that a survivor from this epic battle. So again, we have this big clash. We're talking um, tens of thousands. These are armies of tens of thousands. Five kings versus four kings. Like we're going to duke it out once and for all. Again, Keterleomer and the four kings, they defeat. There's a survivor who runs all the way into Canaan, who makes it all the way to where Abram is, and he gives him this report. Verse 14. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household, and he went in pursuit as far as Dan. And then look, look what happens here. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, 
and routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. It says, Abram recovered all the goods, brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and all the other people. These are armies of tens of thousands, and he has 318 men. And he attacks them. Long before Sparta's 300, (laughs) there was Abram's 318. Abram's 318. I'm telling you, like, this is an amazing story. Abram goes under the cover of darkness. He attacks this powerful army. And you just imagine all of what what went into that. Like, Abram had to be tactical, precise. He, He had a plan. He was strategic. He probably targeted the leaders of them to throw them into confusion. He definitely used the element of surprise. They probably had no idea what a small group of people were attacking them. They probably had no idea. If they had announced it, hey, we got 300 guys coming in hot. They probably had no idea what a small army was attacking them. In fact, the ancient historian Josephus gives us a little bit more info on this battle. And he tells us Keterleomer's men had been drinking. They had been reveling in their great victories. So they're half drunk. They're gorged on food. I would, I would guess they're probably tired from battle. And they are never expecting someone to attack them. This is, no one is going to touch us. We've just dominated everyone around us. And so Abram does the impossible. And he does it because he wants to rescue his nephew. He rescues Lot in dramatic fashion. And of course, for you and I, we would think, wowzer, Lot learned his lesson Shouldn't have been messing around in Sodom. Sorry about that, but no. Remember, Lot is the example of what not to do. (laughs) And so what does Lot do? He moves right back into Sodom. There he goes. Now, we don't have time this morning, but a few chapters later, Genesis chapter 19, like, the Lord says he's going to destroy Sodom. And again, I don't have time to preach this whole, that's a whole sermon in and of itself. The Lord says he's going to destroy Sodom. Abram is then pleading with the Lord. It's the, it's the story where it's like, Lord, if you can find 50 righteous people there, would you spare the city? Yes, Abram. Lord, if you can find 40 righteous people, 30 righteous people. Yes, Abram. Lord, if there are only 10 righteous people, would you spare the city? Abram is pleading with the Lord because he cares for his nephew. Now, the Lord can't even find 10 righteous people in Sodom. The the city is destroyed. Two angels go in and they rescue Lot. And as fire and sulfur are raining down on the city and Lot and his family are escaping. And what happens to his wife? She turns and looks. She were, they weren't supposed to look, and she turns into a pillar of salt. You guys remember that story. So, again, that's, that's not the, the, the message, other than to say, wow, I mean, Lot's life. He pitched his tent in the plain near Sodom, and all of a sudden, we've got fire and sulfur raining. He's now a, he's now a widower. He is so uh, kind of distraught and tormented by this. We see that in his life, he flees to the hills. He basically spends the rest of his miserable life hunkered down in a cave. His story then takes a really dark turn. I'll keep it PG, but he has an incestuous relationship with his two daughters. He dies at a relatively young age and he's just fearful and tormented. So again, his life teaches what not to do. And so here's what I want to do with the rest of the time that we've got together is share three lessons to be learned from Lot's life. Three lessons that we can learn from his bad example. And the first is, you are not as strong as you think you are. 
And maybe Lot was thinking, well, I'm not going to give in to the temptations there. I'm not into that worldliness. Maybe he thought, I've really made the right choice here. Look what I've gotten. I've gotten the lush green pastures. I've gotten freedom from my uncle. I've got all the amenities of the city. What foolishness. We sometimes think we can play with fire and not get burned. That's what Lot did. We minimize our weakness. We think that we are stronger than we truly are. And here's the wisdom of Scripture that comes from Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. And Lot knew there were dangers in Sodom, but he failed to recognize how susceptible he was to them. And so I want to issue a word of caution to each and every one of us today. Don't make the same mistake. You are not as strong as you think you are. We should boast in our weakness. We should count on only God's grace to help us endure. Not in our willpower, not in our common sense. We should put on the full armor of God. We should be ready for the attacks of our spiritual enemy. And here's the second lesson. We should flee from temptation. I mean, Lot headed straight toward it. He headed straight toward it. He pitched his tents right beside it. And the wisdom of Scripture tells us to run from it, to go the other way. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I'm just mindful of the games we play sometimes. The games that, that Christians play, that followers of Jesus play. Well, how far can I go before it's sin? At what point is it wrong? Man, we're asking the wrong questions. We're asking the wrong questions. If we're playing those games, how far can I go until it's wrong? At what point is this sin? The scripture tells us to flee from temptation. What should we pursue? Righteousness, faith, love, peace. We should be asking, God, how can I glorify you? We should be asking, what is it that you're calling me to do, God? We should be asking, what does God's word teach? What does it say? How does it instruct? We should flee temptation. Because listen, Satan has tactics. And they're designed to deceive us and to ensnare us. And here's our third lesson for this morning. There are dangers you do not see. There are dangers, I, I want to just say this very clearly, that you simply do not see. Lot did not know the true depravity in Sodom. He didn't see it. He didn't know. He saw the potential for wealth, most likely. He saw an opportunity that looked enticing. He did not see the underlying decay. He did not see the compromises that he himself would have to make. He did not see the effect it would have on his spiritual life. He was a man who walked by sight and not by faith. And it ended up costing him everything. The same is true in our world for you and I. That things are not always what they seem. That sin so often looks like something sweet and delicious and beautiful. So often it lures us in. It's sweet like honey, but it turns out to be sour and disgusting. 
maybe I've shared this story before, but I'll share it again. I, uh, I can't help but think of this experience I had. I, I was with a very gracious uh, Indian hostess from, from the nation of India. And she offered me chai tea to, to myself and a few of, of the other guests. Uh, this was at a pretty pompous interfaith dialogue event. <laughs> and she was so thrilled about this tea, this chai tea that's from their culture, and she wanted to share it with us. And she had told me how delicious it was and how she was sure I would like the tea. And so she poured me a cup. It was actually a really small portion. I was like, man, okay, you could be a little more generous there. But all right, a small cup of the chai tea. And it did look delicious, but I, I took a sip and it was putrid. Absolutely putrid. Like, there's no way I can even, hmm, you know, smile and get it down. Like, I spit it back out. To this woman's horror, I spit the tea back out. I, I did not want to seem ungrateful, but it, again, it was, it, was not, it was not possible to hide my disgust. And so she is mortified, but upon inspecting the chai tea, she realized that it was boiled tea. And it wasn't her, it was actually a staff person who had done it, who, boy, I don't, know what, <laughs> I don't want to see what happened to that staff person, but it was spoiled tea. And so then she personally made the next batch of tea and served it, and it was delicious. And so, uh, you know, turned out to be only, hopefully, a minor international incident. <laughs> but here's the, here's the point. Like, I was expecting this delicious, hot, sweet chai tea. And instead, I gulped in this mouthful of, like, sour milk. Things are not always what they seem. And Lot's life teaches us what not to do. And I want to key in on something this morning before we close. And it's this thing that strikes me most about the story we've just read together, Abram and Lot. And it's Abram's willingness to pursue Lot. And guys, I see the gospel there. Lot had done a terrible thing to Abram. I want to underscore that. that, that in their custom, like he should have deferred to the elder Abram, but he selfishly chose the best for himself. He turned his back and moved away. It was like a slap in the face. It was like an, I don't need you. I'm a self-made man, even though he wasn't. All he had was due to Abram. So, so he had wronged his, his uncle. He had turned his back on him. He had disrespected him. But even so, when Lot is in trouble, Abram is there to rescue him. It's amazing. This is what strikes me the most about this story, is Abram's willingness to pursue Lot. That is what Christ has done for us. Even though we've gone astray, even though we've turned our back, even though we've found ourselves in need of rescue, Christ has gone toe-to-toe with evil, and he has come out victorious. He has overcome. He doesn't give up on us. Praise God. That he protects us when we're vulnerable. That he frees us when we have become a captive. That he doesn't punish us for our wrongs, but he's just ready to forgive. Imagine this scene. Here's Abram, and he, at this point, had found a nice shady spot. And he had also allied himself with some people, some local people there. So he had hedges of protection and, and, and comrades. And this man comes running in from the distance, and he's got this news of this war and, and your nephew... Lot, like, he's been captured. The four kings have been defeated. 
I mean, have been victorious. The five kings were defeated. And, and we've all been routed by them. And a bunch of guys got killed. And other guys fell into the tar pits. But I escaped. And I, I want to tell you, Lot's been taken captive. And you can just see it that, that Abram jumps into action. Men, let's draw up a plan. Get the weapons ready. Water the camels and load them up. Get my best men, the ones that are trained. We are going after him. And I can just imagine some of his officers being a little concerned. Again, when you just do the sheer numbers, 318 versus these large armies. Like, okay, but Abram, like, these kings have already marched against all the other people in the area. And they're actually headed back home. We'll probably, we probably won't even catch them. And he says, Lot's in trouble. He's my family and I love him. And they're like, but Abram, like, uh, they've already beaten every army. You've got 318 guys. Plus, Abram, not to be rude here, you're 80 years old. Lot's in trouble. He's my family, and I love him. But Abram, everything you value could be lost. You would mean nothing to them to kill you and to plunder everything that belongs to you. He's in trouble. He's my family, and I love him. But Abram, Lot is a lost cause. Don't you remember when he slapped you in the face and disrespected you and took the best for himself? He doesn't deserve you to risk your life for him. Lot is in trouble, and he's my family, and I love him. And that is God's heart for us. You are his child, and he loves you. And no matter where you've gone, and no matter what you've done, he will be there to rescue you. And maybe you've dabbled just like Lot did. Too near the temptations of the world. You've pitched your tent in the wrong places at times. And you've ended up a casualty. You're a prisoner of war. Maybe you know all too well that those promises that sin makes, and they never come to be. What looks so sweet and appetizing is really putrid and disgusting. And you've ended up in a place of being broken and guilty and ashamed. And you know what the Lord says? He says, you're in trouble. You're my family and I love you. The Lord is gracious to rescue. And oh yes, he is mighty to save. Nothing is too difficult for him. So friends, let's learn these lessons on what not to do. Let's trust in the Lord. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and follow his plan for our lives and trust his timing and know that he will strengthen you for whatever lies on the road ahead. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our God. What a joy and blessing and privilege it is to be your people. To be known by you and to each have our story of rescue. And Lord, we confess that our world is one that's filled with tar pits and battles. There are times where we pitch our tent in the wrong places. We linger where we should not. Where we think we're strong, but we fall. Where even though your word counsels us, we fail to recognize the danger. And for that, Lord, we confess. And we plead with you to rescue us. 
Lord, would you help us? Would you guide us? Would you speak to us and lead us? We know what your word says, Lord, that you lead us in paths of righteousness and that it's for your name's sake. And that's our heart, Lord, that you would be honored and glorified. So if you can take a life like Abram that was messy and had mistakes and use him as a pillar of the faith, then, Lord, you can use our lives. We submit them to you now, grateful for what you've done and eager to see all you have in store. We pray it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.